Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. If you were in that Jerusalem courtyard when Pilate brought out Jesus and Barabbas, whose name would you have called? You'd like to think it would be an easy choice, but even in this day and age, Barabbas would still likely win. Church planting resident Daryl Ford brings us this message entitled, We Still Want Barabbas, which covers Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 23. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning. It's truly good to be, uh, be with you all. I have had over the last two years almost of being able to be here at Perimeter. My first year of the residency was here and I get a chance to come back and, and hang out with you all. And it's such a joy every time. You guys are always so gracious. I, last time I was here, uh, I ended my sermon with something called a spoken word. I don't know if you guys remember that, but I, but I did. And I was really hoping uh, that Randy would pay homage to that. He was gonna come up and actually do a freestyle rap with you guys. We actually were gonna battle rap. So look it up, Google it, it's, it it'll be interesting. But he kind of chickened out. So I'm gonna see if I can get him to do it tonight. Uh, I want to kind of share with you maybe a, a huge, maybe confession from, from, from my heart. Uh, you know, we've been together now a couple years. We're like family. I can, I can let you in a little bit, so I'll, I'll lift the veil. I have, I have an issue, and it's something that God is really dealing with me on. I cannot stand going through a restaurant drive through with people who don't know what they want. I can't, I mean, it's like my wife will tell you, I've got issues, y'all need to pray for me because I'm still working through it. Well, and probably because so often the people that are in my car, okay, even from the time that my wife and I were in the military together, even when we were dating and we'd have tons of people in the car, there's always maybe one or two people that has just very weird, strange requests. They want their, their meals customized in such weird ways. And it's so annoying because I've got to be the guy who relays this message through the speaker. And I know they're gonna put something in my food because they're really mad at what I'm telling them to do. So here's a couple of examples of friends that we had who would do this. I had a friend who uh, she really, Trisha and I both, we, uh, we, we would hang out together and she really liked, uh, she liked to go through the drive-thru and she would order a burger. She would order all the fixings on the burger. And then she would, she would end her request with, can you tell them to take the burger off though? I'm like, are you kidding? And ask them if they'll give me a discount when I, if they take the burger off. And I'm like, I'm not going through the drive-thru. Ask them to take a burger off of a burger. Like, it just doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. I don't like it. Then my, my other friend, what he would do was he loved to customize his burger as well. And uh, he loved, he knew that there were many restaurants that would refund or give you another burger if they mess up your original burger. So he had a field day with this. So what he would do is he's like, you know what? I don't ever order burgers with pickles. I always say no pickles. Always. So if they mess up my, my order, I'm getting another burger. Well, he would order. He'd say, hey, I want a burger. No pickles. They give him a burger. Inevitably, there always was one rogue pickle that would show up in that burger. So he would open up the burger, and he would see where the pickle was. And then he would eat around the pickle. Just trifling. He would eat around the pickle, take, take the, the little, you know, minuscule little piece of burger Walk up to the counter, we'd go in, he'd go in and, and say, hey, you guys told me there were no pickles on this, but there is, I need another burger. <laughs> and they would give it to him. I'm that guy that's in the car with those people. So I don't have any tolerance. I, God is stretching me and sanctifying me and all that, but it's not, a, it's not an easy thing. And I think 
For me, if you're in the car with me and you want to order something, I encourage you, just stick with the combos. Really easy. They make it easy. You got burgers, fried, drink. You're good to go. But isn't this, this underscores the beauty of consumerism, right? We enjoy, we take pride in our freedom, specifically our freedom to choose from a veritable plethora of options. We love that. This is something that, that defines who we are. It's a value to which we hold dearly. We have songs, popular songs with lyrics like, go your own way. Frank Sinatra had the song, I did it my way. We like to customize things for ourselves. And listen, the freedom to customize, this isn't necessarily a bad, a bad thing. Who doesn't like the option to pick out appliances for our home? Who doesn't like the option to customize the music that we listen to online? These are, these are great things. These are blessings. But I think there exists the common temptation to customize Jesus and to customize our relationship to him in the same way. We so often will remake Jesus. And the way we do it is, listen, we love the things that resonate with us. We love freedom. We just celebrated a few days ago this nation's freedom. We love freedom. We love blessings. We love protection from danger. We love relationships. But on the other hand, we selectively ignore all those things that don't resonate with us. We ignore those things that don't necessarily, or that actually may even offend us. What things are those? Well, let's think God's wrath, our sin nature, our lack of self-sufficiency, God working all things for, for, for his glory and not our glory. And listen, in, in, in case you think that this is just, well, this is just a sign of the times. That's just the culture we're in right now. That's just the direction our nation is going in. We need to go back to a point in time where this wasn't the case. You know, sometimes we, get, we become guilty of what I call era envy. And we look back at an era and we're like, oh, back then it was so great. I'm going to over-romanticize the past. Listen, this is not, this is not the case here. Because 200 years ago, uh, the, the person who wrote, who was the author of our Declaration of Independence that we celebrated just a few days ago, Thomas Jefferson, our third president, he wrote a book called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Many of you may know this as what's called Jefferson's Bible. And in this book, Jefferson preferred a Jesus that was exclusively moral. Jefferson preferred a Jesus that was not necessarily deity or miraculous, but just was good and would give people and even citizens good behavioral way to live and coexist. That was the Jesus that he liked. So what did he do? He took a pair of scissors, took his Bible, which by the way, this Bible is on display. I just read somewhere, but took his Bible cut through and cut out all of the pieces, all of the scriptures that would point to Jesus as God, that would point to Jesus as a miracle worker, that would point to Jesus as a healer, and that would point to Jesus as having been resurrected. Because this was a Jesus that, that was much more palatable to him, one that was just a moral, a moral Jesus. As a matter of fact, the end of Jefferson's Bible, it's only 46 pages, the end of his Bible, you know what story is the last one? It's the story of Jesus' death. He goes into the tomb, and the very last line is the stone being rolled over the tomb. Nothing at all about the stone being rolled away, because this was the Jesus that he wanted. 
Now, this isn't a shock. Just a cursory reading of history will show that many of our founding fathers were, in, were, were incredibly influenced by the Enlightenment. Many of them were deists. They actually believed in a God. They, they believed in a well-ordered universe. They, they believed in a well-ordered earth, but by a very detached God, a transcendent and detached God, not one that was actively imminent and actively uh, working in individuals, not actively showing himself to be God in people. That's why Jesus, that was a story that just could not really set well with folks. And actually in 1813, Jefferson wrote a letter about his, his book. This actually was his second attempt at this. His first attempt, he felt like he didn't go far enough. So in his second attempt here, uh, he wrote this booklet and he wrote to John Adams in 1813, Here's what he said. he said. He said, this wee little book of 46 pages was based on a lifetime of inquiry and reflection. And it contained, and I quote, the most sublime and benevolent code of morals which has ever been offered to man. This was the Jesus that Jefferson wanted. The desire to customize Jesus to fit us doesn't even go, doesn't have to, it actually goes back further than that. You know, you may think, well, you know what, this is just maybe a, a sign of certain times. This isn't me. This isn't me. I actually, I absolutely think that scripture shows us this is us. When we go back to the time of Christ and we go back to uh, the time where he walked the earth, I think the Bible gives us a very clear example and an analogy of really how we want to fit Jesus to match, to match us. So I'm going to go into Matthew 27. We're going to look at the story of Barabbas, a name uh, with whom I'm sure the most, if not all of us, are familiar. And this is going to stretch you because what I'm talking about now is not necessarily the main thrust of the text, but it's a very important, and I believe it's a very vital part in understanding the main thrust of the text. The main thrust of the text here is that Jesus died and suffered and was given as a sacrifice for us. That's huge. That is the thrust. But I think that there's some key details here that might help us understand it a little bit deeply and uh, see ourselves a little bit better in the story. So I'm going to read Matthew 27, beginning with verse 15. It should be on the screen for you as well. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. They had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who was called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. I want to do, go through a quick synopsis of what we just read, okay? Because I think there's some vital details, as I said, that will help us understand a little bit more of, what's, of what really is happening and where we fit in. 
Uh, so you've got the Roman governor, Pilate. He's being questioned, or he's questioning Jesus. And Pilate finds no fault in Jesus, right? He doesn't want to condemn an innocent man to crucifixion, to the death penalty. So he has this custom. We, scripture tells us that there's a custom of releasing one prisoner to the Jews during their feast, the great feast of, of Passover. Pilate gives the Jews a choice between choosing uh, a prisoner named Barabbas and this prisoner named Jesus. Now just keep this tucked away because I believe this is the very beginning of the, of a, of a, of the, of the question that we all have to ask daily. Which one do I want? Do I want Jesus or do I want Barabbas? This is a picture also, or actually this is, there's some striking similarities between the two. Uh, and Barabbas is not here coincidentally. Please understand, usually when we look through this passage, we will look and, and it's almost like Barabbas is just kind of thrown in there, just happens to be the name of some common criminal that's a part of the story. This is very intentional. There are no coincidences here. There's a, there's a very specific reason, I believe, why Barabbas happens to be the criminal that's here. There's a very specific reason why uh, he, ha- he happens to just be there during the same period of time. And a deeper look into who he was convinces me, and I hope convinces you, that we still want Barabbas. So who was Barabbas? Well, again, Barabbas is uh, only mentioned in passing. So it's easy to just gloss over how significant he is. The first thing to understand is that Barabbas was not his first name. Uh, This is actually a patronym. Uh, Patronym, this was actually a name that was a combination of two words, bar and Abba. Bar meaning son of, Abba, the father. So you've got Barabbas, his name meaning son of the father, next to Jesus, the very son of God. I should be able to leave right now. That just preaches itself. I'm just, I'm I'm done. (laughs) Because that picture just shows in and of itself that it's not a coincidence that this man is here. But I think there are a few more questions we need to ask. Because usually um, these, these, these patronyms, they would be much more specific. You didn't just normally have a guy just with his last name, per se. Peter, in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 16, is called Peter Bar-Jonah, meaning Peter, son of John. Today we call him, call him Peter Johnson. Uh, you have uh, the, the case of uh, 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 Nathaniel. He's called Bartholomew, right? Nathaniel Bartholomew, Bar, son of Ptolemy. You have in Acts 13, there's a sorcerer named Elymas whose family uh, name was Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. By the way, Jesus was a very common name during that time. So you get the point here. The idea behind your name, it wasn't enough just to know who you were. Your name also told people whose you were, what family you belonged to. But yet, we look at Barabbas, and we don't really get a very specific name. He's one of the few people in the Bible that actually doesn't have kind of a first name, at least the way, the way that we read it. And here's why I think it matters. Because if you do a reading, if you look through some of the earliest manuscripts that we have of this text, his first name is actually given. Some of the earliest manuscripts we have actually list his name as Jesus Barabbas. So this picture gets even even brighter here or even more interesting because you've got Jesus, son of the father, little f, 
And you've got Jesus, son of the father, big F. The son of God, the son of the father next to each other. A stark contrast, a picture of what Jesus, those people really wanted. This is, this is, this is almost, it's, it's so striking and it seems, it's so obvious, it's so intentional that God would have this, this way. Because these two men represent two types of saviors. Barabbas was much more, I believe, than a common criminal. I think so often we can look at the text and go, you know, that was just a common criminal. It's just sad that those folks chose him. But actually, I think there's a reason. There are more reasons why they chose Barabbas. The, the, the books of, of Mark, Luke, and Acts refer to Barabbas as a murderer. John 1840 refers to him as a robber. Now that word for robber in the Greek is a word that's used by the, the, the Jewish historian Josephus to describe a group of people called the Zealots. Now, real quick kind of history here. The Zealots were one of the four main sects of, of the Jews during that time. You had your Pharisees, your Sadducees, your Essenes, and your Zealots. Now, the Zealots were a group of people who were bo- uh, both fiercely patriotic and fiercely religious. And they combined the two in such a way that was quite unhealthy. Because keep in mind, what's going on during this time? Israel has, no, has not been a nation for quite some time now. Israel is under the authority of the Roman rule. And what's happening is the Romans are kind of pacifying and patronizing the Jews by saying, listen, we really won't acknowledge you as a real nation. The rest of the nations of the world don't acknowledge you as a real nation. But just to pacify you, to keep you from, from, from having to, 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 to moan and whine about this, we're going to let you guys have your own kangaroo courts. We'll let you have your own kind of version of your, of your government. Do whatever you want with your people, but just make sure that you don't interrupt Roman rule. Make sure that you continue to pay tribute to Caesar, pay your taxes, and acknowledge us as actually the ruler here. So you had groups of people, you had Jews, these groups of Jewish people who were, they were bent on restoring their nation, restoring their pride, restoring their patriotism, restoring the flag. This is the group that Barabbas likely was a part of. Scripture says he was notorious. Why was he notorious? Why was he famous? Because he was probably a Jewish civil rights leader that stood for the type of savior, the type of Messiah that these people wanted. Barabbas Barabbas was a was a patriotic rebel, like a Jewish Paul Revere, focused on self-redemption, not redemption through the coming of, of Messiah. Scripture refers to him as an insurrectionist, a seditionist. This is one who rises up against authority, rises up against institutions. Listen, for one person, he may have been a seditionist, but one man's terrorist, one man's seditionist is another man's freedom fighter. This is precisely who Barabbas was. For a certain group of people, he was their hero. He didn't want to wait for the Messiah to deliver the Jewish people uh, from the tyrannical uh, Roman Empire. He wanted to free his people from the yoke of Rome through political and violent means. He wanted, uh, this is the, 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 the epitome of liberation theology. He wanted a coup d'etat by any means necessary. And then he and his crew were caught, tried, convicted and condemned to the harshest penalty known at the time, crucifixion. 
This leads me to the, the, the first point we have is we want Barabbas, just like these folks wanted Barabbas. Now, you may be tempted to look at this story. Maybe you've been tempted in the past. I know I have. Every time I've heard this story, normally I just go, it is just ridiculous that these Jewish people would just pick a common criminal. How could they? Didn't they know who Jesus was? A common criminal, a know-nothing, a, a, this, this guy Barabbas. Why would they ever choose him? And the reason why we do that is because we refuse to believe that we are that crowd. We don't want to believe that we actually would have chosen Barabbas. But we actually choose Barabbas likely every day. We're no different. The Jewish crowd represents us in the story. It represents the question that every one of us uh, likely has to ask, and that is, which Jesus do I really want? Which Jesus do you want? These people, they wanted to customize Jesus to fit their desire for political change, for self-redemption, for they wanted fair representation, economic freedom, restoration of their rightful place among the nations. They wanted their rights fought for. And Jesus the Christ didn't fit in. He didn't fit the bill. That wasn't the type of savior that they wanted. Barabbas was. Because they believed Barabbas met their greatest need. What's your greatest need? What do you believe to be your greatest need? I want to tell you, whatever you believe to be your greatest need will determine which Jesus you want. Whatever you believe to be your greatest need will determine which Jesus you want. If you believe your greatest need, uh, whatever you believe your greatest need to be, you'll start to emphasize certain attributes of Christ at the expense of other attributes of Christ. What happens is we begin to misidentify what our greatest needs are. So we carve out a version of Jesus that looks like that. We carve out uh, a, a version of Jesus that will uh, highlight some of these attributes that we really like, but at the expense of some other equally important attributes that we need to keep in, in mind. So what does this look like? Well, if I think my greatest need is comfort, then Christ is exclusively a comforter. He's a comforter first. So that means I will do everything in my power to seek comfort, which inevitably leads to getting caught and trapped in various sins or sinful relationships that absolutely don't glorify God. But in my mind, you know what? God understands because he's a comforter. God understands. He, he's a comforter first. Oftentimes we'll do that when we'll say things like, you know what, I know this shouldn't happen, but God knows my heart. Because God's understanding. God's omniscient. So what do we do? We exalt the omniscience of God at the expense of the holiness of God. This is the Jesus who make every single sin that we struggle with daily is because we're choosing Barabbas over Jesus. Every one of them. If I think my greatest need is my healing, then I look to Jesus as exclusively a healer first. Nothing wrong with looking to Jesus for healing. He's a healer, amen. But when I look to him to be a healer first above all else, you know what happens? If he chooses not to heal, then I start questioning the goodness of God. I start asking questions, well, why did God let this happen to me? Why didn't God stop this from happening? You know why? Because I'm exalting 
Jesus as a healer above Jesus as sovereign over all things and sovereignly using all things to bring maximum glory to himself. I like that when it works out for me. If healing brings him glory, amen, I want it. Come Lord Jesus. But when it's something that, that actually means that I'm going to actually suffer, I don't want any part of that because I'm remaking Jesus into my own Barabbas. And I got to tell you, this absolutely was the case for me recently. Some of you know that about six weeks ago, my mom passed away uh, at 54, uh, very unexpected. I was, uh, I was away uh, in Israel on a trip. Somebody had graciously blessed, us with, blessed me with an opportunity to go. And so I was there. It was a 10-day trip. It was, it was great. And uh, day one of the trip, I got news, uh, news that, my, that my mother had been admitted for an emergency surgery. And apparently the surgery was not one that really uh, should have proven to be fatal, but there were some complications. And so throughout the 10-day time that I was in Israel, uh, I, uh, we had folks, there are a couple of folks here now who were there uh, as a part of that trip. And uh, all of us, we were praying for my mom. We were praying for healing, which is absolutely fine. We were praying that God would heal her. We were praying that she would be restored and that she would be whole. And throughout the week, we would get good reports. One day, mom's doing better. Mom's doing better. She even uh, woke up out of this coma. They put her in to heal. She woke up. She was talking. Everything was great. Then a few days later, things are going south, and they're going south fast. Day 10, the final day of my trip, I get a call. My wife calls me at 4 in the morning to let me know that my mom had passed. And I got to tell you, the Jesus that I wanted was not the total picture of who Jesus really is. I'd love to be able to tell you that, I'm, that, I'm, that I've got it all together now, but I don't. Because the Jesus that I wanted was exclusively a healer. The Jesus that I wanted uh, was, was one that would have just gone in, saved the day, saved my mom. Because when I prayed, you know, I prayed the right thing. I prayed, Lord, if it be your will, heal my mom. But really, in my heart, it was, and I really hope your will is for mom to be healthy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's what happens when we pray. That's why I really hope that's, and there's nothing wrong with that. God wants our petitions. He wants our prayers. He wants to hear every petition of our heart. And so as I was doing that, there was nothing wrong with that. But, but what ended up happening was I started to exalt Jesus, the healer, above Jesus, the sovereign one. And so it just became a struggle, and it, and it, and it is a struggle. I could sense how easily I could slip into remaking Jesus Christ into another Jesus, my own Barabbas. Again, when we exalt an attribute of Christ at the expense of another, we begin to customize Jesus from being the Christ to being Barabbas, a cheap counterfeit. Look back at the Jews in this story. They, the things they wanted weren't bad. Freedom, justice, fairness, victory. These aren't necessarily bad things. But they wanted someone who promised those things, who spoke the way they spoke, who looked the way they looked, who behaved the way they behaved, who looked like them. They wanted someone that would meet their needs the way they wanted it. You know why we do this? Because we are Barabbas. You see, we are Barabbas because Barabbas looks like us. I want somebody that looks like me. You see, the Jesus we become becomes the Jesus, or the Jesus we want becomes the Jesus we imitate. 
The Jesus you want is the Jesus you begin to look like. Our our sin nature orients us towards ourselves. Our sin nature orients us to, to, to love self. So you know what that does? It affects our relationships. You know why? Because on some level, I begin to love you simply because you remind me of me. And I love me some me. I love the things about you that remind me of myself. If, if, if we share the same race or cultural background, I love you because you remind me of myself. If you're young and married with kids, loud children like mine, I love you because you remind me of myself. If, if we share uh, similar ideologies on some level, if we have similar educational background, I love you because you, re- you remind me of myself. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with affinity. Praise the Lord for that. God uses that to draw us to each other. But when you exalt one of these things above the person of Jesus Christ, we create an idol. We create a false Jesus. We create a Barabbas. And we want him because we look like him. He looks like us. We highlight the things about Jesus that resonate with us. And we ignore the rest. We want Barabbas. So what does this look like? What does this look like for you? Well, if, if your greatest affections are stoked and engaged by politics, then we want to create a Jesus Barabbas that's a, a democratic Jesus or a Republican Jesus. If the greatest, if my greatest affections are engaged by my ethnicity, then I want a black, a white, uh, Asian, a Hispanic Jesus. If my greatest affections are engaged by even seemingly lesser things like schooling choices, then I have a Jesus that is a homeschooling, a private Christian schooling, a public schooling Barabbas. We want a savior to look like us. So we hijack all the attributes that remind us of ourselves. We remake them into a nice, cute imitation, a counterfeit like Barabbas. Now this is bad news because this is something I believe we all do. But the good news is that Jesus died for Barabbas. Jesus died for Barabbas. Do you, do you really understand what that means? Listen, I don't, want you, I don't want you thinking and leaving here going, all right, great, I've got to figure out what I have to do to be able to get past this. I've got to figure out how to, to stop creating Barabbas. I'm, I'm going to use a plural term here. I made it up. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop making these Barabbi in my life. <laughs> and, I'm going to, and I'm going to start figuring out a way to, to manage this, to make sure that I'm not looking like Barabbas anymore. I'm going to do all this. I've got to work harder. I've got to, I've got to white knuckle it. Listen, I hope that you're convicted of some of these areas. I hope you're convicted. I hope the Holy Spirit is showing you all these areas where we aren't believing in the true Jesus. But if you think the answer is work harder, you're facing a death sentence. And the reason why is because we come into this world looking and longing for Barabbas. We come into this world longing for something else that will save us. Any number of sin struggles we're in because we're searching for something else that will save us. But the the, the interesting thing here is Barabbas was insufficient to save himself. Barabbas could not save himself. He needed someone to step in for him and take his place. Jesus Christ took Barabbas's place. As a matter of fact, Barabbas is the only man the only man in history that can quite literally say, Jesus physically died in my place 
facing a Roman execution. He's the only one that can literally say that in a very physical sense, in a very judicial sense, uh, and as far as the Roman government goes. But yet Jesus Barabbas was insufficient to save himself. Your false Messiah cannot save you. The blood of your Barabbas cannot save you. Your politics won't save you or America. Your culture, your ethnicity won't save you or your people. Anything outside of being justified and being reconciled to God through the blood of the real Jesus will leave you in failure every time. You can't work harder to fix this problem because you and I are fundamentally flawed from the beginning. Do you understand the father had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus? Do you get that? He had to treat, this, is, this to me is, is striking. He treats Jesus like Barabbas so that he can treat Barabbas like Jesus. God loved us so much that he didn't wait for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. He loved us enough. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in Barabbas' place without him having to do anything. Jesus dies in our place, having to do nothing with who we are or how great we are. Why did he die? Jesus died to, to meet our actual greatest needs. You, we all have felt needs. We all have things that, that, that are legitimate needs that we have. I have legitimate needs. The problem is I make, the, I make the need the ultimate. I make the need the greatest need, and I try to meet it. Jesus met our greatest need. My greatest need isn't to be healed from the emotional scars, uh, from suffering horrific forms of abuse growing up. My greatest need is not to be healed from some of the emotional scars of watching my mom degrade over the last three or four years, watching my mom succumb to some of the injuries that she suffered from being in, 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 a, in an abusive lifestyle uh, at, at times in her life. Since you and I were born in a sin, looking like Barabbas and condemned to eternal death and separation from a holy God, our greatest need is to be remade to look like Christ. Our greatest need is to be remade to look like the image of Christ. Do you understand this is what sanctification and glorification is about? This is what it means for God to be on a mission to reconcile everything back to himself so that now I look like him, I think like him, I hate what he hates, I love what he loves, I'm being remade. Now this, this, is, this smacks us in the face because our culture says that true love means I don't want to change you. I don't want to be with anybody that's going to change me. What's the implicit truth there? That who I am is good enough. That who I am is good enough. And if you can't see that, then that's okay because God loves me for me. Actually, surprisingly, no, he doesn't. Shock and amaze you. I've said this before, Jesus did not love us because we were so coochie-coochie-coo, cute and cuddly. That's not it. The re Jesus died for us in spite of ourselves, and he says, I love you enough that I'm going to change you to look like me because your greatest need is you can't look like me. You don't behave, you don't know how to love the things you need to love. You don't have it in you to fix yourself. You stand guilty in front of a holy God. 
Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen, you need to be changed. We need to be changed. I don't know where you are in your, in your faith walk. I don't know where you are in your journey. Uh, I know this much, that every one of us, whether we know Christ or whether we don't, we still cling to a Jesus Barabbas. I don't know if you know who Jesus is, but I would encourage you to get to know who the real Jesus is. Which Jesus are you clinging to today? We've all got a Jesus Barabbas somewhere competing for our affections that should be for Christ. Sometimes they aren't necessarily bad things. And I'll close with this. John Piper illustrated this point really, really well. He said, imagine, imagine heaven. Imagine as you think about it, you just close your eyes and you envision however it is that you think heaven might be what it might look like. And, and think about uh, all the things that you would want there. Relationships restored. Maybe uh, loved ones have passed on and you want to be restored to them again. Maybe there are comforts that you miss. Comforts, certain foods, smells, music, beautiful things, all these wonderful things. Imagine that they're all there, but Christ is not there. Do you want to be there? Which Jesus do you want? I pray that all of us will cling to the real Jesus because I'm telling you, it's a crucial and a pivotal moment when we transition from believing in the Jesus we hope and wish exists to the Jesus who absolutely does exist because he can meet our greatest needs. Pray with me. Father, we are, I am convicted as I think about all the ways that I replace Christ with Barabbas. All the ways that my heart at times still longs for Barabbas. But God, I'm so thankful that you don't leave us there. Father, you make it so clear that while we were yet sinners, you came and rescued us and enabled our hearts to be able to indeed love and seek and yearn after the true Jesus. And so Jesus, I pray that you will come to us, reveal yourself to us, Make us uncomfortable in those areas where we don't or we choose not to know you. God, we pray that you would do this not just to meet our, our needs, but that, it would, that you would bring ultimate glory to yourself. We pray these things now in the real Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.